Good morning and welcome to another recorded sermon, which um, I hope you enjoyed last week's one. Um, This week is slightly different because it's been another strange week. Once again, there's been further restrictions to some of the some of what we think of as our fundamental rights. For instance, um, I'm filming this from my own lounge because I can't go to my church office. Um, I can't spend time with the wonderful Dave Lodge um, filming and making sure that the light and the sound and everything else is up to scratch. So apologies if the quality of this film isn't quite up to what you're used to. Um, But we'll endeavour to make sure that um, in future weeks we can do everything we can to make sure that these are as good as they can be. But you see, we have a choice at the moment. We have a choice in how we respond to the restrictions that have been imposed upon us. For instance, I found this week that I've suddenly started exercising more than I normally do. The reason for that isn't because I've been given, given greater freedom to exercise. The reason is because I've been told I'm only allowed to exercise once, at, once a day. And so suddenly I'm thinking, I don't like that. I want to I make sure that I do exercise my right to exercise. I want to go out and go for a bike ride or a run or just a walk and make sure that I make, make use of this one opportunity every day to go and exercise. I think that's a positive choice. Other people have found that they've had to react to the, um, the restrictions in different ways. So, for instance, some people are finding they have to stay at home and they're not allowed to leave because they, they're, they're vulnerable. They've got an underlying condition or, or they're, they're of such an age that they can't go out. Other people find that they're now going out to work, um, working much longer shifts in much harsher conditions than they've ever worked before. For some people, this is a time of intense loneliness where already they're looking around at the same four walls thinking, I wish I could go out. I miss my friends. I miss my family. And yet for others who have got small children running around screaming the house down, they're dreaming of the opportunity to have a bit of peace and quiet. For some people, this is a time of great anxiety as they think about the future and what it may hold. But then there's other people still who are, who are walking around in denial, saying that this is just a massive overreaction and that we shouldn't be, shouldn't be being silly about, um, about a little virus. Other people still are strictly adhering to government advice, whilst some people are believing that they're invincible, wandering around, having mass social gatherings and showing complete disregard for the welfare of other people. Some people are sitting at home, doing everything they can to avoid domestic chores, whilst other people are inundating their spouse with offers of borrowing a pressure washer. Thanks. The way that we choose to react to any given set of circumstances says an awful lot about us. The way that we react to the current situation It shows our heart. We don't have to go far back into scripture to see examples of people in situations where we see their heart through their reactions to a crisis. Take, for instance, David. When David went and saw his brothers on the front line of the the Israelites' war against the Philistines, David looked and saw Goliath. He saw this giant stepping forward, goading the Israelites, challenging any single one of them to a one-to-one duel to decide the outcome of the war. 
Goliath, this, this giant over nine feet tall, this, this colossal figure of a man, was stepping out and saying, come on in, who's going to take me on? Not a single one of the Israelites wanted to do that until David, this, this, this shepherd boy, this guy who was, he was no soldier, he came along and he said to King Saul, I'll do it, I'll take him on. He says this, he says, the Lord, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So eventually, after, after much deliberation, Saul agrees to allow David to go out and to face Goliath. David walks out onto the front line. And Goliath sees him and laughs and he says, he says, what do you think I am? Some sort of dog. Don't. Don't insult me by sending this boy out. Send someone who's going to fight properly. David says, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of God, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will hand you over to me and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And the whole of the world will know that there is a God of Israel. You see, the rest of the Israelite army were terrified of Goliath. But David knew that God was bigger. He didn't look at Goliath and think, wow, what a giant of a man. How can I ever take him on? He looked at Goliath and thought, you're making a mistake because my God is 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times bigger than you. And he's going to have you for breakfast. And what happens? Well, David goes out to meet him on the battle line. Goliath prepares himself to, to crush this, this puny looking little boy. David picks up a stone in his shepherd's sling flings it as hard as he can, catches Goliath square between the eyes and knocks him out, stone cold, dead on the floor. David then goes running up to him. We're told that he went and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the scabbard. After he'd killed Goliath, he cut off, off his head with the sword. And David then picks up the head and shows the Philistines who flee. So David was in a bit of a crisis. He saw that the entire army that were going to be defending his people were living in terror of this giant, Goliath. David said, my faith is in God. I know that I can't personally take him on, but my faith is in my God. And my God is bigger than anything. My God is bigger than, than any soldier. My God is bigger than any virus. My God is bigger than any problem that I'm going to encounter in life. So I'm going to face this problem and I'm going to do it trusting in my God. How David responded reflected his heart and his faith. When we look at Nehemiah, in Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 1, we, we read about a man who was part of the exiled Israelites part of the, the Jews who have who've been taken into exile. And we see that a member of the remnant of the Israelites who had stayed behind in Jerusalem, who hadn't been taken into exile, comes and sees Nehemiah and tells him about the sorry state of Jerusalem. Nehemiah recalls, 
They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So Nehemiah is facing a crisis. He's devastated that this city, the city of Jerusalem, the city of his ancestors, the city that he's read about in the scriptures is destroyed, is ruined. The gates have been burned, it's been left, it's been plundered. And he's devastated. And so he turns to his God. He prays. And then he takes a massive risk. He goes to the king, the king who was responsible for the exile and says, let me go back. I want to go back to my people. I want to go back to my city. I want to rebuild it. Nehemiah could have been put to death for saying such a thing. But instead, because he'd, he'd earned the respect of the king, he'd become the royal cupbearer, someone who was very important in the life of the king. The king respected him. The king said, OK, tell me what you need. You can go and rebuild the city walls with my blessing. You can go and lead your people. That was a massive risk that Nehemiah took. But the first thing he did was to stop and to pray. The second thing he did was to act. And in his actions, we see his heart reflected. He wanted to go back and build that city, not because it glorified himself, but because it glorified God. When we jump forward and remind ourselves of the story of Daniel. When Daniel was, was told that he wasn't allowed to worship his God anymore, he wasn't allowed to pray every day, as was his, his tradition. He was told that, that prayer was banned. There was a decree that anyone who, who prayed to any God for the next 30 days will be thrown into the lion's den. And so Daniel, we read about this in Daniel chapter 6. Daniel prays. He's been told he's not allowed to, but he knows that the only way that he can, he can deal with this situation is to pray. When he's praying, he's, he's caught red-handed, he's arrested, he's thrown into the lion's den. You see, Daniel was prepared to, to give up his life for doing what was right, what he felt God wanted him to do. He wasn't going to compromise his relationship with God. He wasn't going to stop praying and he certainly wasn't going to start praying to, to the king. Instead, instead, he said, no, if I get thrown to the lions, I trust in God. It's worth it. I'm going to put my life in his hands just as David had put his life in God's hands, just as Nehemiah had put his life in God's hands, so too Daniel put his life in God's hands. In all three of these stories, we see an example of someone who, who reacts to a crisis by turning to God and saying, Lord, over to you, I'm in your hands. At this time, when we've got this, this coronavirus going around, this, this crisis as Christians, we need to be prepared to say, Lord, I trust you. I'm going to do my best not to be fearful, not to be anxious, not to be overcome with depression or despair. But instead, I'm going to focus on you because I believe in you. You are my God. 
as I've read the news headlines this week, the, um, the scripture that's come back to me time and time again is the parable of the Good Samaritan. It might seem like a slightly odd one to choose, but it's reminded me that in that story, we see the very best and the very worst of mankind. In this past week, we have seen the very best and the very worst of mankind. You see, instead of a band of robbers attacking the Samaritan, we've seen, we've seen people stealing the identi- identification cards of key workers, of frontline NHS staff, purely so that they can get to the front of food queues in supermarkets. We've seen that Parliament have had to pass a law making it illegal to cough in the face of police officers and nurses and doctors because people have been doing this. We've seen people ignoring government advice, advice from from universities and research centres, advice saying do not hold large-scale social gatherings. We've seen people coming together and holding such gatherings and putting themselves and other people at risk without a care in the world. A friend of mine, who is a key worker with an elderly neighbour, went shopping for their neighbour early one morning. And they were standing in the queue, listening to older people telling them, you shouldn't be here, this isn't for you, you've got no right to be shopping at this time, this is for us. And my friend just stood there and ignored them, because they didn't want the confrontation, because they were shattered after a long week. But of course those people had no idea what was going on in my friend's life, they had no idea that actually they were trying to do a good deed for their neighbour. But people, stood in the, people sat in the seat of judgment and mocked her. These are all representative of the band of robbers. The people just waiting for an opportunity to benefit from someone else's misfortune or to pour scorn on others. But it's not all bad, is it? You see, as outrageous as those headlines can seem, There's a lot of good Samaritans out there as well. There's a lot of heartwarming stories. You see, while some people have been acting like the band of robbers from the parable of the good Samaritan, there have been an awful lot acting like the good Samaritan. Take, for instance, this week when a government appealed for 250,000 volunteers to assist the NHS in their work. And suddenly, within 24 hours, more than half a million people had volunteered. The government have now upped their, upped their requirement to 750,000 and I'm absolutely confident that they will get that many volunteers. That many people who are saying, at this time of crisis, I will step forward and I will help. That is a story of, a, of good Samaritans. We've got half a million good Samaritans whose stories we should be celebrating. Or what about how the, the streets of this whole country were echoing with people standing on their doorsteps, applauding and cheering for our NHS workers who selflessly put themselves in harm's way to save other people's lives day after day, and the country expressed its gratitude in a wonderful, wonderful public demonstration of thanks. That is the act of good Samaritans. You've only got to go out for a walk and you see that 
Many, many houses have got rainbows in their windows where children have been encouraged to, to join a show of unity by putting these pictures in their windows. And it's a wonderful thing to see as you walk around your neighbourhood. Whoever thought that up, that is the work of a good Samaritan. We've read stories about celebrities making huge personal donations um, in a bid to help fund research into finding a, a cure for this virus. There's been mass online fitness workouts where people up and down the country have been, have been doing exactly the same exercise routine from the comfort of their own home. And they've been getting fit and working out probably harder than they ever normally would because they've realised that the internet gives us a wonderful opportunity to form a new community. And maybe the best news of the entire week is that Holby City, the TV series, have donated all their medical protective gear to the NHS, which means they can't film any new episodes. Good news indeed. So as I say, a crisis brings out the very best in people and the very worst in people. So what of faith in all this? Where does faith stand? Why do we need faith and how do we respond to people who question our faith at times like this? Well, at times like this we should all question our faith. We shouldn't be scared of, of asking ourselves, OK, where's my God in this? Why is this happening if I believe in a God of love? These big questions that we, we should be taking the time at the moment, if we have the time, to consider ourselves, to ask ourselves and to work through in our own way. I've always loved the account in John's Gospel in chapter 20, starting at verse 24, where the disciple Thomas doubts the return of Jesus. You see, he's often called Doubting Thomas and, and people, people um, single him out with that name, which isn't entirely fair because at this point, all the other disciples had seen the risen Christ. They had seen Jesus and Thomas was the only one who hadn't. And we're told in John chapter 20, now Thomas, <clears throat> now Thomas one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. You see, I've often been told that I'm, I'm named after Doubting Thomas, which is why sometimes I can be prone to being a little bit cynical about things. But I don't think that's entirely fair, because Thomas is actually doing exactly what Jesus taught us to do. Let's not forget the, um, the parable that Jesus told about the two men who wanted to build houses. One of them builds his house nice and quickly, doesn't bother with foundations, builds it on a bed of sand. A few months later, the rains come and the floods build up and they wash away the sand and the house collapses because it's, it's built on, on very, very weak foundations. The other man builds his house on rock, solid rock. Takes a lot longer to build because he has to, he has to, to building on rock, I'm no builder, but apparently it takes longer. But it's worth it. He puts the work in. When the rains come, they wash over the rock and the rock 
doesn't move. Therefore, the house is still there. The house is firm. It's secure. And so anything that we do in life, we should build on firm foundations. In this passage, Thomas, Thomas is simply making sure that his faith is built on firm foundations. He's not simply going to accept the hearsay of other people. He's not simply going to say, oh, really? You saw him? Okay, fair enough. Praise be. Great. He says, no, 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 no. You, you've all seen him. That's why you're so full of it. When I see him, that's when I'll believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. You see, this would have been a pretty gruesome scene. Jesus stands before Thomas. He holds up the hand that's still got the hole where the stake was driven into it when he was nailed to the cross. It would have been a pretty big, ugly hole. When he was taken off the cross, they wouldn't have have delicately taken him down. They would have torn the body off. They weren't known for their sensitivity. And so... It would have been a pretty big hole in the middle of the palm of his hand. And he he tells Thomas, go on then. You said you wanted to touch it. Stick your finger in. Yeah. You see, look, it comes out the other side. And then he must have lifted his tunic and said, look, that gaping wound. Put your hand in there. You feel it? You feel the. You feel the open wound. So now you believe me. Now you believe that I'm risen? And at that point, Thomas says to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus replies, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I don't know about you, but I haven't seen Jesus. My faith is not built on having seen Jesus in person. I haven't touched the wounds that were inflicted upon him when he died on the cross. But I do believe that he rose again. And I do believe that I see him through others and through the work of the world every day. You see, Thomas builds his faith on a rock The rock of certainty, the rock that all of us would love to have to be able to to sit down and and talk to Jesus face to face and to see the wounds and to, to know that Jesus is risen. Jesus was the son of God. But it's interesting, isn't it, that for Thomas, Jesus's wounds were enough for him to say, my Lord and my God. Jesus's wounds weren't. A demonstration of love. They didn't show grace or peace or mercy or joy or any of these things that we talk about. Jesus's wounds, in fact, spoke of evidence of mankind's hatred and fear and violence and evil. 
It showed what, what man can do to man. In fact, to use another word, it showed what we can do when we allow sin to encompass us, to overwhelm us, when we get carried away. But Thomas realises that despite having taken the spite of the sin of the world, Jesus still loves him. Jesus still loves everybody that he meets. You see, we've seen Jesus' wounds this week. We've seen them in the bad of society. We've seen them in, in the theft. We've seen them in the abuse. We've seen them in the ignorance. We've seen them in the judgment. We've seen it in the fraudsters. We've seen Jesus' wounds all around us. But we've also seen his love. We've seen Jesus' love expressed through the volunteers who are giving up their time to, to serve people, not because they're being paid for it, but because they know that at this time of national crisis, everybody needs to do their bit. We've seen Jesus' love in, in the people simply opening their front doors and applauding to show how appreciative they are of their doctors and nurses and other medical staff who, who are there for them. We've seen it in the rainbows in windows, in the donations to charities, in the care that people have shown to their friends and family and neighbours. We've seen it in the expression of community that's been, that's been reignited across the country. All of this are expressions of Jesus' love. It would be so easy in this world for the fear and the anxiety to build and build and build to such an extent that mankind turns upon itself and destroys itself. But I believe that there is one that stands against that, one that doesn't allow that to happen, one that protects us, one that calms us, one that speaks peace and calm into every situation. And as Christians, we need to be able to listen to that. We need to be aware when Jesus is speaking in a situation. We are the ones that need to be able to listen and act and respond. We need to show the peace and the love and the mercy and the gentleness and the grace and the self-control that is so often missing. We need to show love and respect, putting others first. And trusting in God above anything else. You see, while we, while we face these uncertain times, we have something which is steadfast and certain. And that is our faith. That is our God. I know that we've covered a lot of scripture today. I make no apology for that, really. I just want to finish... With one more passage. You see I spoke last week about the opportunity that I see in our current circumstances. The opportunity that I see through this, this isolation. This, um, when we see empty, empty um, shelves in supermarkets. When we see neighbours with no friends or family 
able to go and see them. When we have church members who live on their own and we could, we could email or phone them, there are opportunities for us to show all the Christian virtues that we talk about each week. Now is the time for us to make a difference. Now is the time for us to act and to do something, to show that our Christian faith has a relevance and a need in this world. In the Old Testament, we read a story of a family who was struck by famine. They lived in Bethlehem. They had to leave Bethlehem and move out into Moab, a country some distance away. This family had two sons, and the two sons married Moabite women. And over time, the father of the family died, the two sons died, and all that was left was the, the mother and the two daughters-in-law. And eventually the famine passed and the mother-in-law, the, the mother decided, I, I've got to go back to Bethlehem. I have no prospects in Moab. I'm not a Moabite woman. My husband is dead. My two sons are dead. And she says to her daughters-in-law, you stay here. You stay here. You've been so loving to me. You've taken me into your family. You've looked after me. But, but you need to go and find new husbands. You need to go and make a better future for yourself. I'm going to go back to my people in Bethlehem. And the two daughter, daughters-in-law, they refuse to go. They say, they say, no, I'm not going to leave you. We're coming with you. We're not going to stay here in Moab. We're coming with you. And the, the, the mother pleads and pleads and says, no, you've done enough for me. You've done enough. And they say, but we love you. We love you. You've been so good to us. You were so good to your sons. You've accepted us as Moabite women into your family. We love you. And eventually, eventually, one of the daughters-in-law gives in and says, OK, I will go back to Moab. I will live amongst my people, but... I wish you well. I love you and I will never forget you. But the other daughter-in-law refuses and she says these words. She says, do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will become my people and your God will become my God. My prayer is that once the coronavirus has begun to calm down, once our medical staff have, have managed to get it under control and maybe there's, there's an a, a inoculation or, or something like that to help us to deal with it so it's, it's less of a threat. Once we don't have to be shut inside our own houses anymore. Once I don't have to preach to an empty room with, in front of a, 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 a strange contraption of stands to balance cameras and lights and everything else on. Once we begin to find some semblance of a new normality, whatever that might look like, we will have friends and family and neighbours who want to follow us. Not to a new land necessarily, but to church. Because they've seen our Christian character. They've seen that we haven't given in to anxiety or fear. They've seen that we haven't panicked. We've seen, they've seen that we haven't 
haven't shown ourselves to be to be selfish, that we haven't sat in the seat of judgment when looking at other people. Instead, we've shown hearts full of generosity and kindness, putting them before ourselves. We've been prepared to do anything and everything to ensure that they are looked after. We want to get to the point where, when we can go back to church again, we've earned the right to say, why don't you come along? And wouldn't it be amazing? Wouldn't it be absolutely amazing? If they said, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will become my people. And your God, my God. Stay safe this week. Look after yourselves and look after others. Pick up the phone, send the email, write the letter. We're all in this together and we will all get through it together. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and we thank you, Lord, that no matter what circumstances we find ourselves facing, your word never changes. Father, help us, we pray this week, to, to be the best friends and neighbours that we can be. Father, help us to recognise people around us who we can help and help us to act accordingly. Father, we know that you want us to be a people who, who do react well to the circumstances around us. And we pray, Lord, that you will guide us and lead us as we seek to make sure that at the moment we honour you and we do your will. So, Father, bless us this week. If we shut indoors, keep us company. If we go out of doors, keep us safe. But whatever we do, Lord... Keep us true to you in every aspect of our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a great week.